Holy Gospel according to St. John, the twelfth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with me, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In many respects, the entirety of the Christian message can be boiled down to the recognition that man has very limited control and that God is good, even as he exercises his rightful authority. This gospel lesson of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with pure nard, it is so memorable, it's in all four gospels, It has been retold through all of these centuries precisely because it is a picture of giving one's life to Christ, no matter the cost. It's not really about 300 denarii uh, or money that could be given to the poor. The nard is a stand-in for our very selves, our lives, our wills. We give him over to Christ, and we pour it out as an offering. We dare hold nothing back, for Jesus is worthy of such a small sacrifice on our behalf. Now, what us giving ourselves over to Christ looks like might look a little differently or be interpreted differently in different situations, as one who is much closer to the law and order camp rather than the easy-come-easy-go camp, this is a question I want to get right. Have I really given my life to God? After all, my life seems pretty orderly, not the kind of abandon that you see in this text. Do I hide behind a belief in law and order? to justify what's actually going on, which is my selfish desire for control? Or is real faith seen precisely in a kind of loss of control, like when worshipers put their hands in the air or start to speak in some gibberish that they call a tongue? Should our faith always look like a heartfelt weeping at the feet of Jesus? In other words... Can true faith be found in in such an orderly exercise 
as this, in a tightly controlled series of rights and rules that are designed to keep us from straying? Or is true faith only found when it looks like a total abandonment of the self, like Mary in John the 12th chapter? Now, these questions have very real consequences. How you answer it is how you sort of go about the entire church enterprise in many respects. Many of our Christian brothers and sisters seem to believe that true worship demands uh, the losing of oneself to the experience in life uh, uh, as we see in John 12. Some of them will say that if such a loss of control is not experienced, then one can scarcely be called a Christian. Many Pentecostals, for example, teach that unless someone speaks in tongues, they do not possess the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it's as prevalent uh, now, but there was this popular movement in the 1990s in charismatic circles where it was said that barking like a dog or laughing uncontrollably, uh, that was a sign of the presence of the Spirit. At a more mundane level in the evangelical world, uh, Christian worship is now often defined by emotionally driven music and the experience of closing one's eyes and raising one's hands. Weeping is seen as a sign of authentic worship because, well, the feels are all important. Pop music, I would argue, is the standard used for such worship precisely because it is designed to evoke, uh, evoke an emotional response. Sermons are often highly rehearsed exercises in persuasion using jokes, pathos, or even shock. Uh, as the pastor knows just when to pause or whisper or shout, building his message to a powerful climax before ending with a sentimental denouement. It may be a powerful technique, but it has never really struck me as sincere or persuasive. Now, on the other side from, from that, the other side of the river, that is the Tiber River, uh, is the Roman exercise of control. Now, arguably, the Reformation was not so much about theological differences, though, of course, it was, but also the wrongness of authoritative measures that the Roman church used to exercise control. The Roman church is nothing if not hierarchical uh, at all, after all. We all know who is at the top. Right, the, the Pope is even said to possess uh, the prospect of infallibility, of infallible speech when he speaks from the papal chair on issues of uh, morality. So there have to be these circumstances, but you have to believe in the possibility of papal infallibility if you're Roman Catholic. Now, the average priest, I would argue, not the laity, but the priest is at the bottom of this hierarchy, but even he remains the unquestioned, ontologically changed, that is his nature is changed at ordination. He is the leader of the church. And since only the priest can preside at the sacraments, 
And the sacraments are the method by which your relationship to God is kept in good standing. The priest exercises considerable control over the soul of the Christian. And so there you have sort of two extremes on this question, right? On on the one hand is the charismatic giving up, the losing of oneself to the experience in life of worship and the spirit. And on the other hand is a church that really is defined by hierarchy and in many ways wrote participation. Well, I guess us Lutherans should be somewhere in the middle. We should, we should get it right, those two extremes. We believe in good order, but that frequently makes us look, frankly, dead to a lot of people or stodgy or boring. We also view the Word of God as living and active. That's what Hebrews 4 says about the Word of God. And, and that certainly means we should listen Uh, to what the Spirit is saying to us through the Word of God. We believe the Spirit calls, gathers, and enlightens. That's our small catechism language. And that means we should be listening for the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, and paying attention to the Spirit working through us and communicating with us. We believe that we have direct access to the Father through the Son. So, Our only hierarchy here is, you know, God is at the top and we're at the bottom and Christ is mediating in between, interceding interceding for us. So hopefully I would like to think that us Lutherans strike the, the right balance. Now all of that is inspired, of course, by, again, Mary's anointing of Jesus, a beautiful story told through all of these centuries. She understood that to be in the presence of Christ was worth everything she had. She didn't care what anyone thought. She wept at the feet of Jesus. She wiped his feet with her tears. This is a profound act of humility. And so the question for us is, is that what our Christian life should look like? What should worship look like in our life with Christ? Is it a constant losing of oneself? Well, the answer is yes, but not at the expense of our reason or sanity. Cults, for example, thrive precisely on convincing people, often in the name of God, to lose more and more of themselves until pretty soon none of them is left. A skillful manipulator will get you to slowly lower your guard and lessen your inhibitions with promises of a bigger payoff later. Now that kind of losing yourself is often said to be good for this great enlightenment that will come one day, but in fact it's evil. It is evil to do that to people with such promises. So be aware of those that you love if all of a sudden they find themselves in relationships where in the name of some true commitment are actually getting lost. But it is true that you can't follow Jesus on your own terms. So that definitely does not work. So that doesn't mean that every time you worship you should cry. 
And it doesn't mean that you need to speak in some unknown language to communicate with God or or lower your proper inhibitions to discover some hidden truth. Don't do that. It does mean you should be able to inventory every area of your life and to ask yourself, have I given this to God? Do I really believe that I've given my parenting to God, my money to God, my work to God, my civic activity to God? That is, am I doing everything in my life to God's glory and for the benefit of his people? Hey, all of that can be done. In fact, it should be done in an orderly, planned, proper way. See? Otherwise, you'll be like the king. Remember, Jesus says, hey, don't be like the king who prepares for war but only has half of what he needs, so you know what happens? He loses the war. Don't be ill-prepared. So I, I do think it's totally possible, again, I'm saying all of this with the understanding that I could be accused of just being a control freak, right? I'm just defending my like for law and order. But I definitely do think it is possible to to have a legitimate worship service where no one leaves shedding a tear and really a worship life, because worship is what we do in all of life, without some kind of great emotional response. But I do not know that if it is possible to have an honest God, a relationship with God, if you have not bowed down before him and wasted your nard on his feet. Now we must all for ourselves answer and assess what part of our lives that we are holding back in reserve, refusing to give it over to God, or maybe even justifying that as Judas did in the name of prudence. Now, the exact details of such sacrifice are always a question of discernment for all of us. But the question of whether we sacrifice is of necessity. That is, we will sacrifice. It's just a question of what and how. Here is what we know about Jesus. He never takes advantage of us giving ourselves over to him. He holds nothing back from us. He never manipulates us or lies to us. And if we ever think that we might be being fooled or bamboozled by Christ or those who bear his name, look to the cross again and again. Is that a man who lies and deceives? Or is that a man that we can trust with our very lives? Well, the cross should speak for itself. Amen. Amen.